you know, I had had the impulse of believing that poor people needed Jesus more than other people. And I started to see the way that that, that that impacted my neighbors, the way it felt to them. And I really started to sort of inspect, you know, how do I want to be treated? How do I want to be approached? How would I want somebody to to come into my life? And, and the answer was always, you know, I, I would want them to come to me as a friend, as somebody who wanted to have a relationship with me on some level, rather than, you know, just showing up and handing me a tract or whatever the case may be, and then packing up and heading home at the end of the day. Welcome to Charisma Connection on the Charisma Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Johnson, and we have author Shannon Martin on the phone today. Shannon joins us to talk about her new Thomas Nelson book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, Waking Up to God's Goodness Around You. Shannon, welcome to Charisma Connection. Thanks, Chris. It's so good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. Now, before we start on the book, uh, help us get to know you a little bit and tell us about your family since you share some stories about them in the book as well. Yes, I do share about them quite a bit in the book. They are, I've been blessed with a, a pretty interesting and funny and quirky family. Um, I am married to Corey. He is actually the chaplain of our county jail here in Elkhart County, Indiana, and we met at Bethel College years and years ago. We have four kiddos now, all of whom came to us through adoption. So they each have pretty unique and special adoption stories. But our oldest, Robert, is 24 years old. And he actually came to us most recently when he was 19. So we adopted way out of birth order there. (laughs) And then Calvin is 13, Ruby is 12, and Silas is 10. And very interesting names, too. Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, Shannon, anyone who writes a book knows it is a demanding process. Uh, And this is your second book, right? What was the first one called? The first one was Falling Free. Falling Free. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what was it that compelled you to write this second book? You know, my first book, Falling Free, and the subtitle is Rescued from the Life I Always Wanted. Um, That book talked a lot about the my family, you know, several years ago, a handful of years ago, went through a time of just extreme transition. And during that time, we moved from what we believed was our dream farmhouse, you know, this really picturesque um, life that we lived out in the country, a life that we honestly thought that we would live forever, or for a very long time, at least. And, you know, at the time, we really felt like our job as a Christian family was to create a life for ourselves and for our kids that was as comfortable and safe and peaceful as possible. And most of that got kind of bumped along the road, and we did end up selling that farm and moved into a low-income neighborhood in a nearby city. And so once we were here in our new neighborhood, we started to really understand that, you know, this was now our new ordinary Um, you know, where we once felt some anxiety and maybe even a little bit of fear and a lot of excitement. Now it's just our home. And so at that point, we had to really wrestle with, okay, God, now what? What do you have for us here in this beautiful place that that is home to us now? How, How would you like us to live as neighbors in this ordinary place? 
So how long ago was it you moved uh, to this new ordinary place? Mm-hmm. We have been in our neighborhood now for six years, and it has flown right by. But yeah, we've been here longer now, Corey and I, than anywhere we've ever lived together. So this is <laughs> this is a big deal for us. Well, we'll see how long you stay planted, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I hope for a very long time. We're just we're thrilled to be here. Well, there's an interesting tie-in between the book title, The Ministry of Ordinary Places, and its subtitle, Waking Up to God's Goodness Around You. You clearly believe that we can see God in the ordinary things of life. How did you come to that realization? Well, for us, you know, part of that was just moving into this neighborhood that most people would probably see as, you know, pretty shabby, kind of run down, um, you know, there's there's just there's a lot of decay happening in this neighborhood. It's a neighborhood that most people just wouldn't choose to come into. And for uh, for me in particular, because I do have you know a little bit of that artist in me. I mean, I knew that especially coming out of farm country where everything was just beautiful and fresh and vibrant, and I found it so lovely. Um, I knew I was going to have to be able to sort of change my lenses to see this place that I'm in now as truly beautiful. I knew that that was going to be important for me to do. And and I knew that, that seeing God's goodness, you know, here in the land of the living was going to be crucial for me to enduring for the long haul and for really committing to this place. And so I just really set out in some pretty regular and ordinary, and, you know, they, it doesn't sound like a big deal. It doesn't sound so special, but I really just started taking walks in my neighborhood and, you know, trying to really pay attention to this place where God has planted us to really search and find his beauty, to find where he was already at work and places where he was inviting us to join him in the work. So we didn't really, you know, we didn't want to move here thinking that we had answers or thinking that we were here to fix anybody's lives but to just begin to understand that God is here and he's at work and we get to join him in that. Well, earlier in your book, you talk about how, you know, we may have good intentions and the church, uh, you ask the church to stop loving on the poor. And I think some people will get that right away, but others will not. So could you explain that? Yeah, I wrote a title. I actually titled it, Let's stop loving on the least of these, because what what we started to understand, and you know, I was raised, and and my husband was as well. We were raised from birth, really, and really caring and loving um, evangelical communities. You know, this is all that we had ever known. But we had also both been raised in pretty homogenous, um, you know, white middle class Christian communities. So we we weren't used to a lot of difference around us. When we moved to this neighborhood. I started to to revisit, you know, some of the things we had kind of done in the name of evangelism growing up that, that started to, you know, I, I had a different perspective now because now I was the one living in the low-income neighborhood where church groups were coming in all the time, knocking on our doors, you know, wanting to share the gospel with us. And, and not that that's a bad thing by any means, but I started to see that there was this impulse And, you know, I had had the impulse of believing that poor people needed Jesus more than other people. And I started to see the way that 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 impacted my neighbors, the way it felt to them. And I really started to 
sort of inspect, you know, how do I want to be treated? How do I want to be approached? How would I want somebody to to come into my life? And and the answer was always, you know, I, I would want them to come to me as a friend, as somebody who wanted to have a relationship with me on some level, rather than, you know, just showing up and handing me a tract or whatever the case may be, and then packing up and heading home at the end of the day. So I have a lot of compassion for, you know, the ways that I have done things in the past. And I think that most of us have really good intentions and we're doing the best we can. But I just, I think our neighbors deserve more than that. I think the people around us deserve more. And I really think we deserve more too, because I think we're just, we're missing out when we're missing the opportunity to really build meaningful relationships with the people around us that can then translate into some of these you know, more significant talks and conversations about God and our faith. And how can we befriend our neighbors who may be very different from us? I mean, the front porch isn't what it used to be, right? Right. Yeah, that's very true. You know, part of that for me, you've, you've kind of answered the question there. I think, you know, doing really practical things like um, walking in our neighborhood, and I know that not everybody lives in the kind of neighborhood that I live in. I know many of us are in suburban contexts or rural contexts, and so I know that it looks different. But finding opportunities, whatever it might look like, to sort of be in the front yard as opposed to the backyard, even if that's a little bit metaphorical for some people. But, you know, finding our way into into regular life in our community. And so for me, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but when we moved here initially, we hopped in the minivan every morning and I drove my kids to school and it's only a few a few blocks away. Hmm. Um, I was just, that was the routine that I was used to my entire life. We had to drive everywhere, but I started to notice that, you know, these neighbors that I so desperately wanted to get to know, I was driving right past them every morning as they were walking their kids to school and I was driving my kids to school. And so that for me became an important shift to just, you know, kind of live life in some of the ways that the people around me are living. And when we're doing that, when we're just really committing to to being normal and friendly and engaging approachable people around the people that we're with, I mean, it, opportunities present themselves to make some of those connections. That's a great everyday story. And, and I have one for you, one of my neighbors. I live in a townhome community, and one of my neighbors, uh, there's a family next door, and I knew two of their names, but I didn't know all of their names. And so I really wanted to know their names because I was embarrassed that I didn't know their names, and I was right. ha had a relationship with them, but, you know, it was kind of surfacy. So I prayed about it, and before I knew it, I had a direct answer to prayer. And the woman of the house gave me all of their names written on paper, even with the ages of their kids. So, oh, my goodness. And then later on, she brought me some great Spanish food, so I was kind of blown away. <laughs> you know, we have we get some of those food drops, too, and it's there's just nothing better, nothing mm. better than, than those gifts. But sometimes it just takes prayer, doesn't it? It does. I mean, I think I think praying for eyes to really see the people around us and to see them the way the Lord sees them and to, you know, to just be attuned to really, it sounds so simple, but to really just begin to pay attention to the place that we're in. I think that is, it's such a good place to start. And I think that's a prayer that the Lord is really eager 
to answer. Mm. Now, uh, what you're talking about in the book uh, relates very much to God's kingdom, doesn't it, and how it enters mm-hmm. our everyday lives. Could you mm-hmm. give us another example of that? Yeah, you know, I think there are just, I, th- I think it's so it's so special to think of God being present and active in our world and inviting us into that work. You know, I think for a long time I just had these ideas that, that I had to be kind of drumming up business on my own or, you know, I had to be doing something that counted as actual ministry. And when I began to make the shift into understanding that my life is my ministry— you know, that, that there isn't this separation between now I do ministry, but then I go home to my actual life, you know, to begin to see those as really bleeding together. Um, and, and to start to see, you know, I believe making the world better for one person makes the world better. You know, I think if, if, if we started to approach our neighbors and the people around us and really, you know, finding those points of pain and finding the loneliness and noticing the ones who are overlooked or outcast or, you know, whatever the case may be. But but we know that Jesus was drawn to people who are kind of at the fringes for any number of reasons. And when we begin to to have eyes to see those people, to enter into their pain or their suffering, to walk with them through it, you know, not believing that we can fix it, not believing that we are the Savior by any means, but to just to walk with them as Jesus walks with the people around them, or I'm sorry, around him, I think that is, that is kingdom work. And it's so, it's just, it blows me away every day that we get to be invited into this. And, you know, and loving our neighbor, that we in turn get to be loved by them. Mm-hmm. And you do have a chapter about success, something that uh, Americans are very focused on. How do we redefine success? Mm-hmm. When Corey started his work as the chaplain of the jail, that's when we, we had to really reflect on, you know, that maybe some of these ideas that we had absorbed through our culture about success, they, they just simply weren't going to work. They didn't hold true anymore. When you're talking about you know, this huge jail filled with people who have lived incomprehensibly hard lives. Um, our oldest son, Robert, when he when we adopted him, he himself was 19 years old and he was incarcerated and went on to spend a short time in prison. And, you know, we just we got a, a front row seat into what it looks like for so many people around us. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's you know, when you when you take a step back and, and look at the way the world defines success, which is, you know, I, in terms of the church, you know, how many people are showing up? How many people are being baptized? You know, those are some indicators that God's work is being done. But we had to really take a step back and realize that for us, success meant remaining faithful to the work. Mm-hmm. You know, Corey couldn't couldn't hinge his success on any outcomes inside the jail, really at all, because there is a lot of recidivism. There is a lot of, you know, the same people coming in and out. They're getting out of jail. They're facing tremendous hardship. Um, and so to, to hinge his success on the outcomes of his inmates, we started to realize how really off that was. And so maybe success doesn't look like, you know, how we 
how we lead to certain outcomes with the people around us. Maybe success is us just committing, you know, committing to obedience to the work, even when it seems like it's not working, but to sticking with it and to enduring and to constantly relying on on God for our strength and our rest. Maybe that's a truer picture of what success really is. Mm. Now, tell me, what what is your overall vision for this book? I mean, you've got some great stories in here, but there, there's more to it than just telling the stories, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think when I set out to write this book, I was feeling, you know, what probably a lot of people were feeling in a lot of different ways, but it, it started to feel like the the problems in our world were just getting darker and heavier. You know, I was just, it, it felt like, culture was just fracturing more. There was just conflict and things felt complicated. And I found myself at times really getting kind of caught up in this anxiety of, you know, these problems are just too big. There's really nothing I can do. And it's easy at that point to slide into despair or to slide into, you know, complacency, like, well, I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to go do my own thing and not worry about it. And we have these impulses to kind of avoid this tension and to seek comfort for me, at every turn, whenever I found myself feeling that way, the solution was always to bring myself out of the clouds, you know, up where these problems loomed so large, and to really come down to street level, looking around the world that I'm in, my corner of it, searching for God's goodness and finding it there. And, you know, those one-on-one relationships, building community with the people around me, and this is what Jesus taught us to do. You know, that's where life started to feel like um, there was some meaning there. There were small things that I could do that made my world a little bit better. And so my hope in writing the book is that no matter where we live, no matter what our context looks like, we all have the opportunity to do this. You know, I was really taken with Jeremiah chapter 29, and I'll paraphrase this a little bit, but verse 7 says, you know, work for the peace and prosperity of your city because its welfare will determine your welfare. And I just started to feel like, you know, what if we all did this? You know, yes, pray to the Lord for it, but but there's also work to do, and we're invited into that work. If our neighbors aren't free, then we aren't free either. So if we all started to take a look around, and that's my big hope for this book, is that people will be invited into a, a fresh vision and a new lens for the, the people and the the people around them in the place that they're in. Excellent, Shannon. Would you like to pray for our listeners as we close? I would love to. Father, I just thank you so much that in your wisdom, you have given us the opportunity to connect with each other, to really see each other, and to belong to to each other. I know that, that your hope for us is one of community, and you are a God of community, and that we don't live our faith in isolation. We don't live our faith alone. I just am grateful for this opportunity to to spend a little bit of time with listeners all over, and that we are united in you. God, I just ask that you would be with us through the rest of today. Give us eyes to see your goodness in the places that you have planted us. Give us eyes to see our neighbors as you see them. Lord, just compel us to the ones who are hurting, the ones who are lonely. And and in the process, 
our loneliness and our hurts are also relieved. This is the beauty of the community that you've placed us in. So I just ask that you would would carry us through the day with eyes wide open to your love and your goodness. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Shannon Martin, well, we appreciate that prayer and say an amen to it. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks so much, Chris. Once again, the book is called The Ministry of Ordinary Places. You've been listening to Charisma Connection. I'm Chris Johnson. Join us next time here on the Charisma Podcast Network. Samaritan Ministries is a healthcare sharing ministry with over a quarter of a million Christians that care for one another's needs and all without the use of insurance. Samaritan Ministries member Darren knows what it's like to have a full schedule running his own business, traveling a lot for work, and navigating a household of six, it all keeps him pretty busy. And that's why Darren chose Samaritan Ministries as his family's healthcare option. He's able to travel anywhere knowing there's no networks, and he can access the care he needs when he needs it. On top of all that, his monthly share for his large family is only $495, leaving funds to put toward his own business. He says that the best part of it, though, is knowing his money is going directly to another member who's in need, rather than lining the pockets of a corporation. To learn more about how you can be a part of this community of Christians helping each other with health care, visit SamaritanMinistries.org charisma. This has been a production of the Charisma Podcast Network. Steve and Joyce Strang are the founders and owners of CPN. Dr. Steve Green is the executive producer of the Charisma Podcast Network. We intend to honor God with every podcast and remain thankful to our advertisers and supporters who make these podcasts possible.